0: Say, this is a special day for me because a lot of you didn't know this. Me and Miss Mildred share a birthday together, just a couple of years apart. Uh, (laughs) My birthday and hers is tomorrow. And this is a special day for me. My family is here today helping me celebrate my birthday. And uh, we're going to celebrate, we're going to. We're going to party down with some catfish maybe in a little while or something, but we're all in church together. I'm all, I, don't, I embarrass them or egg so I want them all to stand over here. They're on this pew here. Edith, you can stand with them too if you want. Uh, they stand Daniel, you stand too. You're part of the family. They're all here. My, my three children, my two grandchildren, and my son-in-law and my wife. Y'all know Trace over there, so we are so glad they're here. I'm going to dismiss the children to Children's Church. Brother Wally's in the back. Uh, they can go out to do their thing. All right, turn to Acts 26. Acts 26. This is going to be an unusual message. This might be the, the most unusual message that you have ever heard, but I want you to sit back, listen, take it in, and apply it to your life. Acts 26. If this is not too uncouth, I'm going to take my jacket off. And if you see something, it's because I am extremely warm right now. Okay. Acts 26. All right. I want to, What I want to do today, I've got this entitled, just put up, this is my story. And this is kind of what it is. This is my story. And let me say this. There's nothing... Spectacular or super over dramatic about my story. It's just my story. You know, I, and I'll be honest with you, I've got to thinking a little bit about this. What we've had in the past year, uh, we've seen four good men, Christian men, go home to be with the Lord. Brother Bobby Perry, Brother Kingsley Forbes, Brother Basil Martin, uh, Brother Wayne Cannon, all went home. Uh, to be with the Lord and and I saw in a sense, them each deal with their families and and, and things they passed down and I want to think, as I thought about it, I want my family, I want my church family uh, to know my story, not because it's, it's it ought to be on television or in the movies, but it's my story, and I am so thankful for what God has done in my life. And today what I want to do, I want to parallel this, this, my story with the Apostle Paul. Not that I can compare in any way with the Apostle Paul, but I want you to listen to this story. We're going to read Acts 26, verses 8-18. And then I want to share and be personal with you today. I want you to be patient with me. We're going to, I'm going to be very personal and I want you to hear my story. And really what I want you to do is this. I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about if you are a Christian, when you were saved. You see, I'm glad tomorrow, December 5th, I will be 53 years old. I know. That's, I know I look older. Uh, 53 years old tomorrow. But you know what? I also have what I call a a spiritual birthday. I have uh, my rebirth day, my born again day, is December the 14th, 1974. On December the 14th, a little over a week from now, I'll be in spiritual years 37 years since I got saved. 37 years ago. And that's what I want to share with you today. I want to, I want to talk about this story. Um, and I am, as I said earlier, so thankful. My family's here. My children uh, are here and able to be here uh, today. Um, I, I've shared this with you before. When we went to Tupelo, uh, the man that came up here was here for our homecoming. We call him Big Tommy. He gave all three of my children nicknames. He hadn't known them a couple of weeks. And he, and he named my son, Matt, Easy Money. And, and y'all can take that any way you want, you know. He named my daughter, Melissa, Angel. Even to this day when he sees her. And he named the, the daughter over there on the far right, Cry Baby. And uh, y'all take what you want from those nicknames. But I am so glad they're here and glad that my grandsons are here. And what a blessing it is to have the whole family here together today. I remember the day. That's the title of the sermon. I remember. There's an old song. Some of you remember it. The old song entitled, I remember the day. It says this, I remember the day when the Lord saved me. All heaven came down. I was happy and free. Glory filled my soul because the Lord had made me whole. I shall never forget the day. I shall never forget the day When the Lord saved me. And that's what this is going to be about today. Look at Acts 26. Acts, right after the Gospels. Look at Acts 26, beginning in verse 8. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Speaking in front of Festus and Agrippa, giving his testimony. This is actually uh, the third accounting of this story in Scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 9, when it actually happened. It's found in Acts 22 and then here in Acts 26 when he's sharing it uh, in front of these two rulers. And let me say this. I think he shared it many, 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 many more times than this. I think every time he got the chance, he shared what God had done for him. He shared his testimony, how excited he was to tell them what God had done for him and how he was saved on the Damascus road. Verse 8. Verse chapter 26. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? This is Paul speaking to them. He said, I verily thought that myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. See, Paul was a persecutor, Saul of Tarsus, we know him as, a persecutor of the Christians. He threw him in jail. He he tortured them. He had them put to death. And he thought he was doing it for God. He wasn't doing it just to have fun. He was doing it for God. He was passionate about what he was doing. This is what he's telling them. He said, Verily, I did all of this contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the th- saints that I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when... They were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them often in the synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme. He's saying, I tried to get them to deny their faith, to blaspheme God. Or else I'd put them to death, throw them in prison, torture them, is what Paul was saying. So you see what kind of person Saul of Tarsus was before he got saved. Verse 12, whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, he said, I was going to do the same thing. At midday, verse 13, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister, a witness, both of these things which you have seen, and the things which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto that heavenly vision. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts today. May this time not be about me, but about you. May we each examine our lives. May we each remember our story. May we each look deep within our heart and see what our relationship is with you. Thank you for bringing us to this place today. And Lord, may we leave here closer to you. Use this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've said, I want us to, to think about, in, in about nine days... 37 years ago, I got saved. I want us to think about Paul's testimony, and I want to share with you my testimony. I think there are some elements in Paul's testimony that are the same as in my testimony. Oh, mine's not near as dramatic as, as, as Saul of Tarsus. And there are some folks here that have dramatic testimonies. But you know what? I am so thankful For what God has done in my life. And I think there's some parallels that I want to draw today from this story. There are four elements I want us to notice. The first element you see in Paul's life was conviction. Conviction in Paul's life. Literally, Matthew Henry, the commentator, says this. Conviction of sin is the first step toward a saving conversion from sin and to Christ. In the life of the Apostle Paul, when you read the book of Acts, I think there were a number of things that took place in his life that brought conviction in his life. I'm sure as he persecuted Christians, Saul of Tarsus, I'm sure as he was throwing them in prison, as he was torturing them, he found that most of them would not deny their faith. Most of them would not turn back. They would not blaspheme. And can you imagine what that did to him? Here he's throwing them in jail, he's treating them like this, and all they have to do is deny their faith, and they're faithful, and they keep serving God. I think it was doing something to his heart. I think he saw them as genuine. But the big thing that happened in Paul's life, Saul of Tarsus' life, was the stoning of Stephen. Remember that story? Stephen was a deacon. He was a faithful servant of God, and there, because he would not recant... Because of his faith, they took him outside the city with Saul of Tarsus standing there giving his approval. They laid their coats at his feet. They stoned, can you imagine? They stoned Stephen for his faith. And there as he was dying, being pummeled, being stoned to death for his faith, he sees Jesus welcoming him in. And he, and he cries out and he talks about seeing the Lord. And Saul saw all of that. He witnessed it. He looked at it. He saw Stephen. I think it it did something to him. Literally, Saul of Tarsus killing Stephen, stoning him. I think it touched his heart. I think it was part of, if you remember what this passage said, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. The pricks of his conscience. Pricks of his heart. He knew what he was doing was wrong. God was speaking to him. He was struggling with this. Hard for him to kick against this. And so Paul had conviction come to his life to prepare him for the moment when he would see that great light. There were some, I think, many more I could talk about things that took place. People he was around, the knowledge he had of Scripture that spoke to his heart that prepared him, convicted him of what he was doing. In my life, there was also conviction. Uh, I've been from a Christian home. My mom and dad were Christians. My mom was saved in 1954 in September at the Billy Graham Crusade, Vanderbilt University Stadium. She was already out of high school, and she was saved there and has never looked back. Matter of fact, that crusade is where they put the lights in at Vanderbilt. It was just a, well, I was going to say it was just a football field before that, but it's still just a football field. Uh, That's all right until they beat Tennessee. But they are going to a bowl game, aren't they? That's right. Yeah, they're definitely going to a bowl game. But my mom got saved. My dad got saved uh, less than a year later. He was still in high school at Fairview Baptist Church. So both of them became Christians. They got married at a young age and had a Christian home. Uh, my whole life, I, I knew them and their, their faithfulness to God, their faithfulness to live for God. It was a constant um, reminder to me. And even as a young teenager, about 14 years old, uh, I started ninth grade, living a, a, a wrong life. all started i 'm not talking about anything terrible, really terrible ter- I just started drinking. Started on a road of rebellion, smoking marijuana, smoking. And normally, I don't say this a lot of times when kids are in this room, I don't want to glorify and magnify uh, a life uh, of wickedness. But I did. I started living that life. Started on a downward spiral, being more rebellious to my parents. That was the life I started living. Ninth grade, tenth grade, started on that downward spiral. Uh, Even though they would say things, they would discipline me. It was a constant battle. Uh, but I constantly knew where they were, that they were concerned for me, they were praying for me, they loved me, they continued to be faithful to God. While I looked for excuses not to go to church, quit going to church, looked for excuses because of my conscience, because of my conviction that was on me. But another thing happened, not just my parents. My grandmother came to live in our home in 1973. During the time I started on this downward spiral, my grandmother, we called her Mama baggett It was my mother's mother. She came to live with us. She was probably the godliest person I knew. I really love my grandmother. And we found out shortly after she came, she had cancer. She came to live with us. But she was a very godly lady. Talked about God all the time. Old-time Christian, you know, one of, those, one of those kind of ladies. I mean, it was natural in the flow of conversation that she's going to talk about God. She's going to talk about praying. Uh, she's going to talk about what God is doing. She's going to talk about the Bible. And so at that point, I've started down the wrong road. Guess who comes to live with us? Coincidentally, <laughs> my grandmother. So here I am exposed to her every day. Around her, she's talking about God, praying, talking about, you know, constant conversation. This is the one. And and let me say this, and she's dying. She's going through radiation. They're going to keep her alive for a little extra while, but she's in our home. One particular night, as we lead into 1974, after she'd been there a year or more, I went out partying with friends. Got a little too far gone partying. Drinking, drugs, those type of things. Where the next morning when I woke up at home in my floor, I had gotten sick in my stomach. I was laying in that. I had lost control of my faculties. Uh, I was laying in that. On the floor in my room. I don't remember going home. Don't remember how I got there. i uh, not even 16 years old. Don't oh, know how. And later, I asked my friends, "How did I get home?" They said, "We brought you home, put you inside the door uh, of the den, and left you there." How I? And later, I assume my dad helped me get from there, not even into the bed, but into the floor of my bedroom. Here's where my grandmother came in. That next morning, I was I was laying in that mess and began to to arouse. I see her look into the room. I thought about this bitch. She's looking at me, and I want to crawl up and hide. You know? I'm thinking, how, how did this get to this point? And I'm laying there. She looks in. I look away, act like I'm still asleep, and then clean up, move on, and go on and just try to forget it. So my grandmother came to live with me, and that was another conviction. Uh, my pattern of life, as I said, I begin to, to kick against the pricks. I knew some things I was doing was wrong, struggle with. But, you know, you you don't think about it. You're young. You do what you want to do. And matter of fact, I would pretty much stopped going to church. Uh, If my parents asked me to go, pretty much I either stayed somewhere else on Saturday night or I was sick on Sunday morning, had a headache, had a stomachache, had bad pizza the night before. One time my dad said, you sure it wasn't bad beer the night before instead of bad pizza? And so I was dealing with, with some of that, looking for excuses. But all of that was beginning to, to convict me. And then one day, one day, my mom said to me, did you hear that your uncles David and James had gotten saved? I said, what? She goes, yeah, David and James, and that's my dad's two youngest brothers. David's two years older than me. James about six years older than me. I'd partied with them. I'd run around with them. I'd been all over town with them. I thought, nah, that's not. Yeah, they've gotten saved. And she would tell me. Tell me what was going on, what they were involved in. I just kind of, matter of fact, as she would tell me every, as this took place over a few weeks, I, didn't want, I almost got to the point I didn't want to hear it, you know. Why? It's convicting me. They got and say, they're involved. They're, they're involved in this youth group. There's a revival going over over at Cofras, and she would tell me what was taking place. Well, finally, they called me, these uncles of mine. Hey, I want you to come with us. And I, every time they invited, I had a good excuse. I either had to be here, had to be there. I wasn't going, you know. I wasn't going to go. Uh, why? I was convicted. I knew if I went. You know what I, I knew? If I went, you know what I thought might happen? You know, hey, it might, it might get to me too. I didn't want to go. So this always was orchestrating itself in my life. Uh, my mother continued to, to remind me about what they were doing and what was going on. So this conviction is building up. Um, before I ever went to a service... Before I ever went to an activity, before I ever went to an outing, God, I believe, was orchestrating in my life through my parents, my grandmother coming to live with us, my uncles and their salvation, even my life spinning out of control, uh, conviction in my life. There's a second thing we noticed, second element that was true in Paul's life and my life, and that's conversion. Conversion. You have conviction, then conversion. The Bible says, Paul saw a bright light. Heard a voice from God. God struck him down, got his attention. He turned to God and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And God dealt with him, told him what he would have to do. Well, in my life, there was no bright light. (laughs) But I did have two uncles that kept inviting me to come to church, come to their activities, to what they were doing. They continued to invite me. I continued to say no. Finally, David called one day and said, I'm not taking no. You've got to come. We're going to this youth rally. And he began telling me why I needed to come. But then he said something that got my attention. He said, Bobby Ladd and some of her friends have gotten saved. Bobby Ladd was a girl. <laughs> That's true. He said, Bob, And I dated Bobby at one time. I liked her. She was a beautiful girl. He said, Bobby had gotten saved, so I got to thinking to myself, maybe, maybe this will be okay. <laughs> maybe I can go. You know, yeah, I, I probably could go. And I'd have told him, okay, I'll go to the youth rally, thinking about one thing, girls. <laughs> so here I go. I agreed to go to the youth rally. I've just, it's December the 14th, 1974. I just started driving a car December the 5th. Now, I had a motorcycle I, from the time I was 14 years old. Had a motorcycle, had a Honda back in those days. Where's Ronnie at? Had, had a Honda back in those days, you know. And, but now I've got a truck. I can drive four wheels. I drive to the church, and I go in the basement where we're waiting to leave to go to this youth rally. And I am nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. <laughs> I go into the church. Nothing like myself. I am quiet. I mean, people are happy. Man, they're excited. They're glad to be together. They're spending time together. They're, it's just an excitement. And I'm just standing off to myself. Oh, I'm speaking to people. But, man, I am nervous. I'm thinking, I don't know, this is not for me. You know, I, maybe I shouldn't be here. And around the corner, I've met, Tim Hackett was the youth pastor. I met him and liked him. He seemed to be a cool guy. But I was around the corner in this hall, and I could hear some people talking, and I heard Marsha Waddell, the preacher's daughter, who later I would date. But I'll tell you this. She was pretty boisterous. And not knowing I was hearing her, or just around the corner from the wall where I was standing, she says to someone, I hope... Wayne, gets saved tonight. And I heard it. Oh, I don't think she said it so I could hear it. I mean, well, she might have later. That's the kind of person she was. But she said it, and I heard it. And boy, you're talking about prick right there. Man, I know again. Well, we load the bus. We go over to Woodbine Church. Go in the church. It's a huge youth rally. Kids from all over the city are there. There's a big sign on the wall Man, first thing I noticed, let go, let God. Boom. Let go, let God. We go into the youth rally. They're singing. There's all type of stuff going on in this service. And comes time for the message. I'm there with the rest of the group. There was, we took an old bus over there. 50 or 60 kids on the bus. So then I had a car to follow it with more kids. We're in the, in the service. Brother Nate Ainge is preaching. I, I have to tell you, I don't know what in the world he preaching on. I mean, I was there, I listened, but I can't tell you what he preached on. All I know, the invitation was given, and I wish I could tell you, I went. No. I, I said about midway, it was probably an auditorium twice the size of this, I about midway to the back, and me and a pew got to know each other very well. I gripped that pew. You would have thought I was about to fall through the floor, as tight as I was holding on to it. And the more they sang, just as I am, the more I determined I'm not going. I didn't come for this. I came for the girls. And I kept holding. I kept struggling. Invitation ended. We got on the bus, headed back to the church. First thing I thought is I should have went. I wish I'd went. Why didn't I go? Hardened my neck, stubbornness, pride. We got back to the church. We were going into the fellowship hall. All the kids were there. We were going to have food and refreshments. We were going to have a time of just uh, being together, games, and that type of thing. I lingered. Everybody else went in. I stood around the bus. I waited. When Brother Tim came back, who later became my youth pastor, He came back around the bus, was making sure everything was shut up, and I'm still standing there. And he asked just simply, he says, is everything okay? I mean, basically just making sure everything was okay. You know what I came out with? I need to be saved. I mean, I'm thinking I need to get saved. I mean, the conviction, the service, everything going on in my life. He came over, put his arm around me. We prayed. We talked. I prayed. I'll never forget what I prayed. I really didn't know how to pray. I don't know that I ever prayed in public before this. And this wasn't public. This was me and him beside the bus, Clarksville Highway and Kings Lane in the parking lot. And I prayed, Lord, change me. Lord, change me. Save me. Amen. Amen. No three points in a poem, no sinner's prayer. That's all I knew. And he said, "He said that did it." He agreed. With, he said, "Hey, God saved you." He said, "Did you mean it?" I said, "I mean it with all my heart." We went into the to the room. After a few minutes, he told everybody what I'd done. They cheered. They clapped. Uh, got some confirmation. Went home that night. The next morning, when I got home, my dad was in bed, but I told my mom and the joy and the expression on her face. I told her I was going to church the next morning. I got up, and I hadn't been to church in months and months and months. Got up early the next morning, went to Sunday school. Went to church, Sunday morning church, and that morning Tim invited, there had been some safe Friday night, some safe Saturday night, invited us to come forward to to make a public profession. I did, with a group of other teenagers. I, I just, at that point, uh, had received christ wanted to go to church wanted to read the bible wanted to do what god had told me to do and and again i've not not ever gotten over it since it was one of those things you look back and it just a revival was breaking out among young people at that point there had been 30 or 40 teenagers saved and i was glad to be a part of it brother waddell became became my pastor i was just thrilled uh To be a part of what was going on. And begin to make those baby steps. But then there's another thing that happened. In Paul's life it was a call. It was a call. Matter of fact it is conversion. God called him to a special ministry among the Gentiles. Look what it says uh, here. He says I've got a special. Verse 17. Delivering thee thee from the, the people. From the Gentiles to whom I will send you. Paul would have a special ministry among the Gentiles. He would preach. He would write half the New Testament. And listen to what Paul says. Well, I like this. Verse 19. He's telling these rulers, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto that heavenly call, that heavenly vision. He answered the call. Yes, God had a call on Paul's life. The same man that killed Christian. The same man that threw him into prison. The same man that turned his back uh, on everything good. And I too, early on, felt like God might be calling me. But how do you know? Uh, How do you sort that out? I'm 16 years old. How do you know these, these things? I wasn't sure. I mean, all I know is when I got saved, my mother didn't tell me the next, hey, you need to go to church tomorrow. You know, she. I mean, when I I told her I'm gonna go to church. When I got saved, I started going to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth meetings, uh, revival meetings, youth retreats. Uh, I would have gone to the women's auxiliary if it let me. I mean, anything going on at church, I wanted to go to. I was there, I, and I just wanted to be there. I was soaking it in, reading the Bible, doing everything I could do. But I wasn't sure. Uh, doing everything I could do. Well, some of you have heard a couple of things that led to the call. Uh, my senior year of high school, uh, about a year later, uh, in September of my senior year of high school, I had gone to see my then-girlfriend, Marsha Waddell, the preacher's daughter. Can you believe that? The preacher's daughter, who I started dating. I had gone to see her. She lived in Joelton up on Watch uh, Creek Pike. Uh, you know, now, back then, there wasn't any, um, wasn't any interstate or anything. I'd gone to see her on my motorcycle, was coming, was coming home about where Old Hickory Boulevard and 24 are now. And Miss Waddell, the pastor's wife, had told me, I hate you riding this motorcycle. You're going to have her and get killed one day. You hate it when people tell you that when you're on a motorcycle. And sure enough, on the way home, as I was coming home, I saw a deer in the distance. I'm running 55 or 60 miles an hour. It's where they were bringing the interstate through. That deer was coming across the road. When he got to the road, he stopped. I didn't stop. Hit him 50, 60 miles an hour, broadside. I went over the handlebars, and when they tell you it goes in slow motion, it does. Slow motion. I'm sure I wasn't, but the, everything else seemed in slow motion, flying over the handlebars. And all I could think about in the back of my mind was the night before Sunday night church, Brother Wanel preached on, Work fast for the night cometh when no man can work. I'm flying over the handlebars thinking, Lord, don't let me die. Lord, if, and, and I wanted to go forward Sunday night, I didn't. I kept thinking, Lord's tugging in my heart. He's got something for me to do. I need to be more committed. But I didn't go. The next night, I'm flying over the handlebars, landing in the middle of O'Hooker Boulevard. I didn't die, though. Lord answered the prayer. But you know what? The next Sunday, I didn't go forward either. About January of that year, my senior year, we had a great youth retreat. Place was packed, service was packed. Garnet Reed preached, Give me a man to stand in the gap. And make up the hedge. Make the difference. Man, I listened intently. I thought it was the greatest message I'd ever heard. Give me a man to stand in the gap. The invitation was given. This time, I went forward. And I went forward and I prayed. Prayed by myself. Told God I wanted to be that man. And I looked up. Out of hundreds of people, I was the only one that went. Felt a little embarrassed. Felt a little kind of like maybe I shouldn't have went. And so I really didn't follow through with anything at that point, except when it came time to go to college, even though my dad was not really forward, I convinced him that I needed to go to Bible college for one year. Let me go to Bible college for one year. Then I'll go off to Tennessee Tech, University of Tennessee, somewhere else, but let me go to Bible college for one year. Went to Bible college for one year, during that time, Teresa and I had started dating. We'd gotten engaged. She was at Belmont. I was at the Bible College. On December the 10th, 1976, two years after I'd gotten saved, two years, December the 10th, 1976, we went to a wedding of one of her good friends, Park Avenue Baptist Church. Brother Bob Mowry was sharing at the wedding about this, this couple. He said, Larry has told Vicky. Vicky has told Larry, that they'll never be first place in their lives. They'll never hold the very first place in their lives. That place is reserved for Jesus Christ. And I don't remember much else about, this, about the wedding and about the service, but we left, and as we left that night, she said, what's wrong? Tracy said, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Finally, I told her. We stopped the car. It was probably 10 or 10.30 at night, and I told her I felt like God was calling me to preach. I really for some time had felt like God was calling me to preach. I didn't know how she would react. I didn't know what she would say. She says, at 10.30 at night, let's go see Pastor Waddell. I said, it's 10.30 at night. You've got to be kidding. She said, no, let's go right now. We drove to Joelton. Got there at 11 o'clock at night, Friday night. Knocked on the door, woke them up. Miss Waddell came to the door. We said, we need to see the pastor." He came out a few minutes later. We waited in the living room. He looked like Andy Griffin. He had his house coat on, his little hat. He came. We sat down. We prayed. I told him what God was doing. He said, one thing I remember he said, he said, if God has called you to preach, don't step down to be president. He said, I felt for some time God was calling you and God had his hand on you. The next day was Saturday. I began to say, oh, no. This can't be right. Next day was Sunday. I was at church like I always was. He, he had me come forward, told everybody, told the whole congregation, 300 people. Wayne's answered to call to preach. I'm already struggling. Maybe I'm really not called to preach. Matter of fact, I didn't say no more about it. Come the end of January, he comes to me and says, We're having a youth service. In two weeks, I want you to preach. Are you sure? Now there's other guys that can pray. I've never preached a sermon before. No, you're preaching the service. I went in that night and I'd already made up my mind, maybe I'm not really called. And I did a little fleece with God. You know, like Gideon had the fleece. I told God, God, I'm not really sure. Maybe this is all in my mind. I said, God, when I preach, if no one comes forward, then pretty much I know I'm not called. I had ten pages. Like this. I would written out ten pages. I was preaching on the Good Samaritan. I thought, that's a good sermon. Get involved. The Good Samaritan. I had ten pages. I preached those ten pages in less than ten minutes. Man, I went through them quick. Man, I look up at the clock. It's been ten minutes. I said, well, I'll share my testimony. Share it about how I got saved and what God had done in my life. I gave the invitation and several went forward. And it was God's confirmation that yes, I've got something for you to do. I have my hand on you. Yes, I went, Teresa and I got married. We finished college. I went to Memphis, moved away to be youth pastor and basketball coach at a church in Memphis. We left. Matthew was two years old. We didn't know a soul. Left mom and dad. We'd never lived away from Nashville, either one of us. We moved to Memphis, took a new baby, and that church became our family. And we had a good ministry. At 24 years old, I started pastoring in Dixon, Tennessee, my first church. After I'd been there two weeks, I sat in that little office in that basement and cried like a baby. I said, I don't know if I can do this. But you know what? I know where else to go at that point. I thought maybe I can go back here or there. But God said, stay. We built the building, we had a good ministry. I went to Tupelo for 10 years, and I've been here soon to be eight. Years. what am I saying no there's nothing fantastic nothing earth shaking but it's my story God saved me 37 years ago called me to preach 35 years ago and I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life there's one final thing and I'm about done look at this one thing look at verse 22 so Paul had, a, had conviction Paul had conversion he had a call on his life and then, here's the, third, the fourth thing. Look at verse 22. I want you to see this and I'll draw it to a close. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. There's the testimony. The fourth thing is continuance. Continue. Keep, as my grandmother, my grandma best used to say, keep on keeping on. Just keep on keeping on. Keep going. Keep on keeping on. What do we do? We keep serving the Lord till this day. Aren't you thankful for people who just keep on serving the Lord? You know, I look back today. I'm thankful for Miss Beck. I'm thankful for Miss Mildred. For Miss Helen. Over 200 years of time that they've served the Lord in this church. Faithfulness. Continuing, keep on keeping on. That's what we need to keep doing. Keep, hey, has it all been great? Never been any problems? Never been any struggles? There have been plenty. Plenty of ups and downs, highs and lows. You keep on keeping on. Here's a couple of lessons I want to leave with you. And I'll, I'll make this quick. Number one, you know, we're all saved the same way. Me and Paul, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Every one of us, I don't care what you've gone through. They're, they're none too too good to be saved, none too bad to be saved. All of us are saved the same way. Number 2, everyone needs to be saved. Everyone. No matter who you are, Paul needed to be, Wayne needed to be. Number 3 lesson, I'm thankful for the little things and the little people in my life. I, I'm thankful that my grandmother came to live. I'm thankful for my two uncles. I still love them to, to death today. They're, they're both serving the Lord today. I'm thankful for, for Marshall Waddell and what she said that night. I'm thankful for, for, all, for that old bus and, and for Kofers Chapel. I'm, I'm so thankful for all the things, the little things in my life that made a difference. I'm thankful for answered prayer. I could go on and on. I'm thankful that my mom and dad prayed for me. My grandmother prayed for me. And I knew. I was living in the house with her. I knew she was praying for me. You know why she'd tell me? (laughs) You know, I love you and I'm praying for you. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for answered prayer. And then here's the final lesson, fifth lesson. Never underestimate the value of a soul. Did you get that? Never underestimate the value of a soul. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Folks, there's nothing more important. Ed Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He went to 16-year-old D.L. Moody. Moody was working in a shoe store. Ed Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, went and talked to him about his soul. D.L. Moody got saved in that shoe store. Later, he touched two continents for Christ. Over two million people got saved because of D.L. Moody. You think Ed Kimball had any idea what was going to take place when he led D.L. Moody to the Lord? Who knew? Who knew? As I close today, I am so thankful God saved me. I'm thankful I was born But I'm thankful for December the 14th, 1974. Maybe in your life you need to remember your story. Maybe you can write it down. Maybe you need to tell it to your children. Maybe you need to put it down, put it on tape or CD just so you can pass it down. There's nothing like your story, what God has done for you and done in your life. And I've tried over the years to to thank the people who've made a difference in my life. Thank the people that were important to me. I heard it said one time, D.L. Moody was preaching and he said two and a half got saved today. And somebody said two and a half. He, they said, oh, you mean two adults and a child? He said, no. I mean two children and one adult. Aww. You know, the, the point is this. Those two children had the rest of their lives to serve the Lord. I, I'm glad I got saved at a young age. got saved at 16. And I've never gotten over it. One final thing, and I'm I'm done. There's one other event that was very significant in my salvation. When I was about 13 years old, I had an uncle that was 29 years old that was killed in a head-on collision. A lot of you know Orvin and Sherry that come from time to time. He was Orvin's father. Orvin was about six years old. I was about 13 at the time, 12 or 13 at the time. He was 29 years old, killed in a head-on collision. Uh, I, I'd never had anybody close to me that had died. Uh, he was an uncle that took a little time for me. We went to his house in California. He taught baseball with me. He taught football. I had baseball. He took time for me. And all of a sudden, he's dead. And I deal with the funeral. But you know what I saw? I saw what my the thing that I never got over. I saw how my mom and dad and my grandmother dealt with his death. And I began thinking, what if that were me? And I struggled over and over. Am I ready? What if that had been me in that car? And sometimes I wouldn't think about it as much. Sometimes I think about it a lot. What if that were me? What would have happened? And his death made an impact on me that I never got past. I'm so glad. I think it was Dr. James Dobson that said three most important things in life. The people you love, people that love you, and where you're going when you die. That's what it comes down to. Folks, that's my story. Oh, nothing nothing deep, nothing huge, but the story's simple. God loved me, and I'm glad He did. He died for me, that I could receive Him as my Savior. My life's never been the same. Sometimes I wonder, where would I have been? What would have happened? Where would I have ended up? I'm so glad today that God convicted me, God converted me, God called me, and God helps me by His grace to continue day by day for Him. Here's the last thing. George Beverly Shea. You know George Beverly Shea? Sang with Billy Graham, all those years. He wrote this song. What a song it is. Here's the song he wrote. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God saved me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, Just to think, just to know that God saved me. He'll save you. Let's stand for prayer. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm so glad that God loves you and He loves me. And He'll do for you what no one else can do for you. If you'll trust Him. By grace are we saved through faith that not of ourselves is the gift of God. I want us to sing in just a moment. If you need to come and pray, rededicate your life, give yourself to God. Today is your day of decision. Father, speak to hearts. Use this invitation is my prayer in Jesus' name. Let's sing Amazing Grace. That's what it's all about. You know it already. It's number 230. If you need to come while we sing, the altars are open. Amazing Grace, number 230. What a song. Let's sing Amazing Grace together. If you need to come, you come while we sing. great verse. thank you for being patient. I had to cover a lot of time. And, and if you've never tried to write something down, uh, it's not easy. And I tried to concise it as much as possible. But here's the reminder. You think about your story. You think about, maybe, maybe you don't have the exact date. but You think about, about when it was, what God's done for you. You share it with somebody else. You nail down your story. There's nothing like Your story and what God is doing in your life. I'm thankful that tomorrow I'll be 53 years old. But I'm more thankful that on December the 14th, December the 14th, 37 years ago, I'll have been born again, 37. And on December the 10th, I will have been called to preach 35 years. I started preaching at 18 years old. Got saved at 16 years old. And I'm thankful that God is still on the throne and God's still real. Aren't you? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. I want to thank you for being here today. I want to thank you. If there's ways I can pray with you, ways I can help you, please let me know. I know it's been a little longer uh, than normal. I'm sorry for that. Thank you for your patience. and, uh, And I hope that we'll leave here thinking about your story and what God is doing in your life.